0: welcome to Northern Natter, a podcast by journalists for journalists who don't want to move down south. If you're just getting into the industry, studying or soon to be graduating, then this is the podcast for you.
1: We're sharing all the tips, tricks and stories from people in the industry from Scotland and north of England.
0: I'm Katie Baggett from Sunderland and graduated in July 2019 from the University of Sunderland. I have worked at the community radio station, Spark FM, and various news websites. I now work in higher education and freelance as a journalist and audio producer.
1: And I'm Katie Williams, the other half of this Katie duo. I'm a freelance multimedia journalist and podcast producer from Scotland. After graduating a couple of years ago with a journalism and film degree, I now create content for the BBC, the social online platform.
0: There are stories that need to be heard and opportunities in Northern England and Scotland.
1: And we want to find out how we can get them because we don't want to move to London.
0: Welcome to another episode of Northern Natter and this week we are discussing diversity and inclusivity in the journalism industry.
1: So we know that there is a problem in the UK media when it comes to diversity. We sit here basically each week and discuss how London can form a bubble and potentially stop us from getting jobs, although we're proving it can't. But before that, we really need to acknowledge the barriers in Scotland and in the North and ask what can we do to help
0: so this week we are joined by Evie Muir, Alice Palmer and Rupa Muka. So if you'd all like to kind of introduce yourselves a bit more about you guys, that would be up.
2: I'm Rupa. I'm currently a, a Director of People and Development at the firm that I work in. I'm also an employment lawyer by background. Um, so for anyone who's wondering why I'm on this podcast, I'm also a radio presenter um, and I've worked in radio for 25 years or so um, so that that's where my kind of interest comes in in respect of what we're going to discuss today the areas of diversity and inclusion are basically part and parcel of my career Um, as an employment lawyer that's obviously something that i've done my whole career and i'm now director of people and development so i deal with that for Um, everything in my firm and I head that up Um, and the diversity lead in the firm so uh, I'm looking forward to having a really interesting discussion about how the equality diversity and inclusion stuff works in media and because I've got personal experiences of that but also from a professional angle and I'm always really keen to explore that further so really
3: looking forward to having a, a good discussion today. That's great what about yourself Evie? Evie Our pronouns are she and her, and um, I am a domestic abuse specialist by trade. Um, With that comes specialism of anti-racism, racial justice, um, diversity, inclusion, and that is integral to the work I do outside of journalism. And I'm now a community manager at Restless Network, Um, so I manage the Me Too and the racial justice sections of the app but also dabble in freelance journalism on the side and mainly write about um, gender issues, racial justice issues, and um, specifically the intersections between race and domestic abuse.
4: And yourself, Ellis? My name's Ellis Palmer. I'm a journalist at BBC Radio 5 Live and also the BBC World Service. So my BBC career, well, my journalism career started about five years ago when I freelanced at Sky Sports, working on everything from football to the game at games to rugby union. But my heart and my passion was always news and politics. So Three and a half years ago now, almost four years ago now, scary when you put it like that, I applied to join the BBC on the Extend scheme, uh, focused at basically the BBC better recruiting the disabled talent that it it could have available. So I joined the BBC on that. I've done a mix of roles from online to My dad printing things. This is the pain of working from home, guys. You've (laughs) done just randomly research printing things on the printer. Right. Uh, So I've done a mix of things from working on the international section of a website to digital video to uh, my last kind of year and a half has been in radio, working at Five Live uh, on the breakfast show six until nine. So lots of early starts, but also late nights. And also, working for uh, NewsHour on the BBC World Service which goes out on US Public Radio. So in terms of my my reporting has been around disability issues and disability rights issues and everything like that but my day-to-day work is kind of anything but.
1: Oh thank you. So loads of different backgrounds here with different expertise so I'm really looking forward to our discussion tonight.
0: I think starting off from your experience, what do you think kind of you need to have in your career to pursue in the media industry and from your experience? I think for me, it would have to be sheer hard work and
2: determination. I think that probably applies to whatever sphere you're working in, but particularly when you're in... I guess the media industry that really needs to to happen I think there can be a little bit of I have seen with some people who sort of expect things to fall into their lap because you know they happen to have done one good thing or or, or a couple of good things or because I don't know they've got lots of Instagram followers or something but actually it's the hard work that I think that really matters and um, the hard work the networking the constantly learning I started doing sort of community radio and I'm still in community radio when I left school and hard work has just continued every single year you know it it doesn't stop and I think the, the thing for me that I always think is very important is always learn it doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry whether it's three months whether it's 30 years I think there's something always to learn that's the things that I think will really sort of distinguish you from perhaps someone else who who might not have that determination and grit it's a hard industry it can be quite tough at times I think you have to have a really strong personality sometimes to get through it be able to take constructive criticism so all of those things I think hard work determination and uh, nerves of steel probably <laughs> <laughs> as well
1: yeah I definitely agree with the the nerves of steel <laughs> um just uh just this week you know I was panicking because people hadn't replied to me I forget that people aren't on furlough like me and aren't constantly on their phone I'm like oh, it's been five minutes where's the reply I'm panicking but you know the emails got back to me you know eventually so it does work out just gotta uh
3: keep my cool I think yeah. what about yourself Evie? So I was just kind of reflecting um on my own kind of journey into Journalism is kind of quite unorthodox, I guess, in the sense of I just stumbled into it through activism more than anything. So my relationship with journalism really coincides with the social justice work I do outside of my writing, as opposed to having pursued it through university, through qualifications I often see people kind of tweeting about the courses they're doing and it's quite overwhelming to see because you just realise the kind of hard work people have put in to get in the roles that I've kind of stumbled upon really and have been fortunate enough to, to find and I think I've kind of entered the sector through having a charity background and an expertise in a specific field under my belt. So when people have asked me for advice on how to get into journalism and what you need I've essentially always said something along the lines of a passion and that passion can be then what you specialize in, what you hone in on, as opposed to being a jack of all trades and reporting on anything. There's a real beauty in knowing about something that you're really passionate about and dedicating your time and energy into that and then being the expert voice on that I think having that self-awareness and whether or not you're the best person to talk about a particular issue whether you can actually pave the way for an opportunity for someone else to have the opportunity to speak and kind of the humility to recognize that yeah, you're not as big as you necessarily think you are, just because you've got loads of likes on one article, you've got a really successful article, you just might be the best person to talk about it at that point, and if not, you might be the best person to offer space for someone else. I'm just
0: thinking from, like, obviously the, the job that I'm in now, it's a lot about campaigns and activism, but it's interesting what you just said, Evie, about having that passion, and then kind of seeing where you can go from there, so whether you're asking an expert for a particular article or you just kind of like I don't want to use the term get a quote but you know, some people when they're writing articles don't necessarily think oh there's there's experts out there they just kind of think oh they might know someone or have a source and they'll just kind of go to that person for the first part, point of contact so that I find that really interesting what you've just said.
1: Also, um, this part when you were talking about, you know, passing the mic over, which I think was really clear today, actually, with the BBC Woman's Hour situation. And, you know, that's not the, that's not an isolated incident either. You know, those sort of situations have come up multiple times. And I think it's just something that the industry needs to really listen to. You know, you need to get someone who's who's felt it, who's been there to report on it, to
3: give their opinion, not, you know,
2: yeah, a middle-aged man
3: talking about teenagers. I remember there was a piece I wrote for Restless. It was um interviewing a survivor of sexual assault that happened during lockdown. The person in question was a service user from a previous organization that I'd worked with. And an old colleague, an old friend had been given me the contact for this person, said she'd really like to have a story. And they were from a East Asian Muslim family. And I went away and um, conversation with them to see if I was the right person to be interviewing them, to be showcasing that as someone who is a woman of color, but not from that community. And they'd said that they would rather have someone that they knew that their support worker trusted than necessarily someone from the community. Being open to question and being open to take the step back is is, um, a good way of showing that you have the best interests of that person at the forefront really, who,
4: whoever it is or whatever issue it is that you're trying to spotlight. I always say question everything, question everything all the time and I actually never studied journalism, I've never even walked into a journalism class, I studied political science in Spanish in Birmingham and in Barcelona and then went into the masses in Nationalism and Current Democracies, whilst kind of working freelancing part-time at Sky. I'm not going to lie that those days, it was difficult, With days when I didn't make enough money in the job of doing at Sky to even pay for the train fare back to, to Liverpool, if that makes sense. And that, that is sometimes a challenge, particularly when you're starting out in the industry and making enough money to make ends meet and making sure you've got those resources. I think that's a challenge that a lot of people face when, when they start out in the industry. One of the things that I always advise is... Particularly working somewhere at like the BBC, we are a public service broadcaster, a public service organisation, and ultimately you have to make content for a broad range of audiences, and sometimes that can be a real challenge because you've got your objective. Say it might be a story about mental health, and then you've got a list of guests, and you know you may try five or six guests who you think will be perfect, who have. Um, diverse backgrounds and they might not get back to you. And then there might be the guest who is the who is the kind of esteemed voice on the issue, maybe who's very, very open and very able to get back to you and everything like that. And ultimately you end up booking them as the contributor on the story, which which is is sometimes a challenge. And you know, a lot of my a lot of my job at World Service is being a, a generalist. So my, my passion is obviously Spanish and Catalan politics primarily, that's what I did my master's in, that's what my undergraduate was in. I never actually really addressed disability as an issue until actually I joined the BBC, which is kind of weird, really, in some ways. But, you know, as a wheelchair user, it is something that affects my everyday life from being able to get into the shop, being able to use public transport, being able to get around, whatever it may be. It's important to be recognized that everybody's got challenges, but everybody's got difficulties but everybody's got things that they need to overcome inequalities and inequities to resources and ultimately we are there some days it's to give voice to avoid to be us other days it isn't
1: yeah definitely so going on from that how do you think that the industry then could be more accessible we've already you know mentioned taking a step back you know letting someone else come in if they've got the expertise what else do you think can be done in in your in your viewpoint. Who wants to jump in?
4: Two distinct barriers to entry. One is the traditional way into journalism, where somebody would study English literature or history or whatever it may be, and then end up in journalism. And I'd argue those those degrees in particular give people general skills about the world and general abilities about the world, maybe the ability to write or knowledge of history or whatever it may be but aren't necessarily always the most applicable to journalism and that's the very, very traditional way of doing things at BBC that very few people who actually work as journalists study journalism. Now what you're getting is the other side of the coin where lots of people have studied journalism but I would say sometimes that, that presents its own barriers because people have this expectation of what it's going to be like to get into the industry. Say you study nursing, you study medicine, more often than not, you're going to end up with a career in the NHS or in a hospital, whatever it may be. Biggest advice to people if they are going to go out there and study journalism is to always have that plan A, plan B and plan C as to how you're going to do things. Regarding the inequities in the journalism industry though, I think, I think it's really, really important that we try and get a diverse range of, of voices of, of perspectives across. I think there's a lot that's being done at the BBC internally it would be 50-2012 challenge. All shows have to have 50% women, at least 20% BAME or ethnic minority voices. disabled, which I think is something that's really, really crucial from from my own perspective as a disabled journalist, that's really, really important. Also crucial that we don't just get people to talk about their lived experience when we talk about diversity, which is sometimes a challenge I found in my own reporting, if I'm honest with you. Which is that oftentimes you'll get somebody on who's disabled or you'll get somebody on who's black to talk about their lived experience. But actually, people have experiences and knowledge outside of that lived experience, not just in that lived experience. So, whilst lived experience journalism is very, very important for diversity, and passing over a microphone is very, very important for diversity, it's important, what one would say crucial, that we don't pigeonhole diverse voices.
3: I could not agree more, especially with what you were saying about pigeonholing. In the previous year, we've kind of seen how prominent that is, especially through kind of like Black Lives Matter, just how much people from marginalised communities are used for trauma porn and how much our trauma is exploited for headlines and for stories, but only when it's fashionable. Yeah, something's happening in the world that means that we have a stage to speak on. There's two issues with it. Our trauma isn't there to be exploited. There isn't the support there for that to be happen happening. You know, you write a thousand words regurgitating a traumatic experience, and then you're left to sit with that. But also... There isn't the opportunity then to have these conversations all year round so that awareness is being raised all year round. For example, Black Lives Matter, I was inundated with commissions and commission requests to the point I had to take time off work just because it seemed unopportunistic not to accept them all. And over the couple of months, particularly over Christmas, it's just not been a topic that people have wanted to commission as much as feverishly the same with kind of domestic abuse October's domestic abuse month you get inundated and it doesn't matter that there's loads of progress happening in the field it doesn't matter that there's um, loads of you know things are being brought up in the house of commons those stories aren't wanting to get picked up on unless it's October essentially journalists of colour particularly kind of come to accept that okay these are going to be the busy times that we can plan for and this is when I can be used and I'm going to throw loads of pictures out there it's exhausting because in the end you've spent an entire month of October writing about your own trauma or the people's trauma all the things you're angry about and you come out of it yeah a couple of commissions heavier but emotionally drained there's so much that we have to talk about there's so much knowledge we have there's so many interests we have and specialisms we have that are outside of our physical identity that is just never utilized we're pigeonholed it's a it's another form of victimization it's not diversity and inclusion when we're just being used as pick boxes to fill a story that might be popular.
2: I agree with what Evie's saying there about, you know, the, the tick boxing. I've got a particular issue with with, with being a, a tick box, um, and I've always very openly, anytime I've spoken about, you know, equality, diversity, inclusion, I've been very, very open about I would never, ever want to be hired on the basis that I am helping someone tick a box because they needed someone in from a particular background. And I'm actually in charge of recruitment at the the firm that I work in. And I've always been very, very clear that I will never employ someone on the basis that they are ticking a box. I will employ the right person for the job. We will do everything possible to make sure that we've done all the groundwork before that. I think targets have their place and I know that places like the BBC have targets and you know that they've got a certain amount of 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 spaces that they need to sort of reserve for certain categories and I I can I can see how that that works but for me I think that we wouldn't ever need those targets if the groundwork had been done in the first place so make sure your recruitment process is good make sure you're advertising this done properly make sure you're you've got a culture where actually everyone wants to come and work and they want to apply if you do all of that you will need to have the targets because naturally you will have that flow of people coming through your door. So I'm always a little bit uh, when it comes to targets and things like that. And I do think they have their place in certain industries and certain areas and maybe not so much in others. And the other thing that I found really interesting about what Evie was saying. So for example, Black Lives Matter, obviously huge everywhere last year, you know, and and, and to, to this day, I had people coming to me asking me about it and I very clearly had to say I am not black so how can I write about an experience which I have not been through but and then again this is probably a completely other podcast but I also have an issue with the acronym BAME, Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. I mean just within that there are my experience is not going to be the same as Evie's although we both fall in that same category so I think that that sort of Generalisation and it's it's lazy. That that's what gets me. It's the laziness of of people who think, oh, we need someone from a BAME background. We'll go and ask. We'll go and ask Rupa about Black Lives Matter. I can tell you about being an ally, but I can't tell you about much more than that. So I think all of these things are are things that really need to be worked upon. And it does take probably quite a brave person to actually say, well that's not really how it works so I don't know if you know Ellis and Evie have had similar experiences or, or you know either of the, the Katie's have come across any of that but certainly it's it's something that I do I do see and it's it's something that I think that you do need to kind of speak up against and because that's the only way any of that's going to get
4: better. So one of the problems is on that point there is that journalists oftentimes don't have diverse enough rolodexes. Yeah. If that makes sense. But rolodexes. Nobody has a rolodex. It's twenty twenty one. That's my father's opinion, there. Nobody, you know, contacts book or whatever, whatever you want to call it. All experts are equal, and all experts are great. But ultimately there are audiences out there that need representing if you're a public service broadcaster. And sometimes journalists will tend towards the easiest possible person in their Rolodex, who more often than not tends to be a white male professor in their 50s, because that's the way the industry always has gone. That's the voice the industry always has gone to. And it's about trying to diversify those contexts where possible so that we can be as inclusive as, as possible as as much of the society as journalism seeks to represent. Ultimately we can only tell the stories that we know about. And I think that's what I'm talking about
2: when I say that we need to get it right at all levels. So, you know, yes, there needs to be diversity, but then there needs to be diversity at every single level, whether that's the person that, you know, whether it's a journalist, whether it's a person that's booking somebody, whether it's the agent, whoever it is, that's where the diversity needs to come from because there's no point in just having a few diverse faces who are the face of something. It's the people who are behind the scenes that really need to, that's where the diversity comes from. That's where you, you get that access obviously I can talk more about Scotland but in Scotland there's um, some great work being done and there's actually there's a list which is called Pass the Mic it's basically a directory which you I think would love Ellis but it's a directory of women from varied different backgrounds who are experts in every single field you could possibly imagine so if you need an employment lawyer you go there and you will find someone on that if you need a virologist you will go there and you will find and that then means that yes you still might have your white male 50 year old great if that's the best person to talk about it absolutely get him on I still believe get the best person on for that job I agree with you Ellis you know I mean you only know what you know if people are out there willing to try and help you know a bit more then absolutely take that on
3: board. There's really something to be said about lack of diversity at the individual level, uh, the reporters and journalists themselves. But we know it's such a much broader issue. Um, The one journalist who might be straight out of uni who might be overwhelmed and not have that Rolodex of contacts and be so stressed out about their first article to have that forethought. It's bigger than that. It's about the editor that has edited the piece and hasn't recognised that the quotes in there are by the wrong voices. Social justice needs to be embedded in journalism, in my opinion. Pull out whichever ism you want to to choose. If we're talking about anti-racism, there needs to be anti-racism embedded at the individual, the organisational, the institutional, social, the global level for that one journalist to recognise colourism, to recognise privilege, to recognise passing the mic. It needs to be embedded to a point that the editor recognises that, but it needs to be recognised to that the sector is actively anti-racist or actively anti-ableist or actively anti-trans. People who need it the most, people whose stories need to be told the most are going to be the ones who, who slip through the cracks, essentially.
4: This yeah. is where I make a desperate and very sample for the BBC's uh, local radio stations out there, which are embedded in communities across the north, across the north. And obviously, you've got Radio Scotland as well, which does a fantastic job. And these are stations that oftentimes are, are talking to diverse communities within their local areas on a day-to-day basis. And you know. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a journalist in Birmingham recently, and I said to him, you know, try listening to BBC WM in his local area. And he did, and he found some great stories from some diverse contributors that you ne- wouldn't necessarily find scanning the web, reading the local newspaper, whatever it may be. Local radio stations, community radio stations, BBC, regional stations, whatever it may be are an incredible asset to our communities across the north and I think it's incredibly important that we recognize the opportunity that these can that these stations can give to communities who maybe sometimes don't have a voice and I think you 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 lose that link to your local community at the peril I know speaking personally some best voices I found to get on Five Live and I found to get on my wild this on my world service, but certainly on Five Live have been people who've been on, you know, BBC Radio Warwickshire who are diverse voices, a perspective that had hasn't been really thought about, or somebody who's been on BBC Radio Sheffield. So listen to your your local, your local platform, support your local community.
1: Yeah, definitely to, to put such an emphasis on local, local radio and local TV, you know, cause I know in parts of England, you have like a local television station as well to really, you know, raise those voices. And did you all manage to have a look at the tweets I added on the document? I can read it out if that helps. Um well, I suppose it will if it's a podcast and no one can see this.
4: <laughs> okay, podcasting is a visual medium after all, Katie. <laughs>
1: um, if it goes on YouTube, we'll put a little clip of it in. So basically, it was from uh, Mega Moan, and she quoted a, another tweet below. You know, I think it ties in to what you're all saying there. She says. If UK journalism was set up so that actual talent was nurtured, not bought confidence from certain backgrounds, a lot of us wouldn't need to spend so much of our time doing free mentoring and counselling, in brackets, on top of full-time jobs and home life, to give others a chance." So I would just love to know your thoughts. I know you've pretty much touched on it, but if you've got any additional thoughts to that, because when I read that, you know, I just thought so many people will be able to relate to that from different backgrounds and coming from the Highlands very small town uh, low-income background you know I was like oh that's true you know I've I've needed a mentor but then it goes you know it goes well beyond that so I would love to know what you guys think of that.
3: Yeah I really agree I also love that the the tweet that she retweeted was by Min Walker-Khan, who um, I used to work with when I was 16 mm. in Sheffield. So it was, oh, wow. it was lovely to see. But yeah, it's it's so true. There's a feeling that you have to do more, work doubly hard, that the opportunities there aren't as available. On the back of what Alice was saying, a really good example of someone who did do that, who of a a publication who did do that who found the value of finding regional voices was Black Ballad which is quite telling because time and time again it is the um, specialist publications that amplify the voices of specific communities, in this case the British black community, that recognise the importance of amplifying voices across the country or going the extra mile that's an issue in and of itself it, it means that you know our communities are, are doing more than the mainstream but it is a really good example of how to do it and to do it right
4: About 18 months ago I went to do a piece as part of, I did a piece in Stoke Stoke-on-Trent in the West Midlands well Staffordshire really if you want to call it I was Googling around, seeing what the stories were in Stoke, and I stumbled across some ONS data that showed that Stoke had gone from 4% uh, Black and minority ethnic communities to um, 24% of, of, the, of the communities being born outside the UK. And that made me think about that perspective and why those voices weren't being heard and you know, the general migration patterns. So I went and was able, as part of that project, to go and film a piece in Stoke-on-Trent with three women from diverse backgrounds uh, talking about why they came to Stoke-on-Trent. You know because that's a lot of the problem people oftentimes don't think there's opportunities outside of London outside of the big cities in smaller cities in large towns whatever it may be and if people realise that the opportunities are there everybody's got their own reasons for moving to wh- where they want to move to that decision where we live and how we live I think I think is, is really really important oftentimes to be expressed and that passing the microphone to get people to talk about those experiences and how that feeds into their identity is really really important.
2: And I agree with with all of that there's such a mix of of skills that you need and but and I don't know how anyone else feels about this but I always feel like as as someone who is obviously from a, from a diverse background whatever that means there's such a lot of pressure I want to just go in and do my job I similarly I I mentor lots of people and just because naturally that has fallen to me because people look at me and think oh you know you're a lawyer how did that happen or you're on the radio how did that happen and that that's absolutely fine I've got children and I am there to give my time to to all of these people but I do feel that it's an added, you know, it's, it's always a sort of added bonus that we get. It's, it's not only do you have to do your, your job, you do your day job, you do that well, but equally I'm having to teach everyone around me all the time. And I wrote an article about this quite recently. So you you might remember there was a a story about a Sikh boy who had been bullied really quite badly. He wears a turban. He'd been bullied by two other children. His turban had fallen off. You could hear the children laughing at him, etc, etc. And I'm, I'm from a Sikh background. That was something that was quite personal to me. And I wrote an article about... How that, that boy's experience and, and a similar personal experience that happened in, in my family. And again, an, an article did, did very well. And what I was really heartened by was actually the experiences of those who weren't from the Sikh community who were coming to me to say, well, actually, that's so similar to an experience that I've had as a result of being from this background or I've had from being that background. But it is that constant education piece that we are doing and and my whole point of the article was that we've all every single one of us not just those who are from uh you know an Indian background or or who are disabled or you know it's not just us to always be the people that are teaching it's up to every single person to go out and blim and do some work themselves and learn about it as well and it was quite heartening the responses that I was getting which were very much you have encouraged me to go away and learn more and actually I've learned about it so that's great We need to try and get away from this narrative of always us being the ones who always have to tell the personal stories who always have to do the teaching who always have to share and yes that does have to happen but I, I, I don't think it can only survive on that. And there has to surely be a shift at some point that people have to meet a wee bit halfway. And I and I, I just want to be able to go somewhere and just do my job and, and no one's questioned my background that day or, or whatever it might be. But I do think there's an element of laziness out there sometimes as well um, with others. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. I
4: know the best days I have at my job, are the days when I'm, I'm just Ellis. There are the days when I'm Ellis and I'm known for, you know, my, my my Spanish and Catalan, or I'm known for platforming diverse diverse voices, or I'm known for, you know, Latin, getting Latin American contributors or finding people in Mozambique or whatever it may be. And they are the days that I, I really, really value. And I think it's important that, to use the phrase that you spoke about earlier on, when it comes to passing the mic to contributors, it's also important that we pass the mic in terms of diversity uh, to to our colleagues sometimes as well. That all the energy can't just be us, as you say. What I do hope,
1: any positives does come out of this time, and out of the pandemic, is that flexible working, like Ella said, everybody can have a piece of this opportunity, and it, therefore it is more accessible for a lot of people. And you, you know like you did it might allow you then to take that time off for yourself you can't have it all on your shoulders
0: I was just thinking from the conversation there one of the reasons I went into doing journalism was because I wanted to talk to people and I wanted to listen to other people's experiences and working in community radio as a student was really a really kind of important way to get into well I say get into the industry but like find your feet in the industry and you interview certain people and you you go through different topics but I think interviewing people and actually listening to people's personal experiences whether that be in community radio in commercial radio or just kind of like freelance journalism is a different route to go down if editors and journalists I think it's really important to just kind of listen and actually see where other people are coming from I think if people were a lot more open to actually sitting down maybe for I don't know 20 minutes half an hour and actually finding out what the person is about then you'd have a different aspect on what the story could be so yeah I think that's been a really interesting discussion.
4: Ultimately if you just talk about it on an individual basis that ignores the fact that the barriers are societal it's not an individual basis that, that things are so inaccessible for a lot of disabled people. It is a it is a societal problem and ultimately if you just say it is an individual problem then then you end up ignoring a, a lot of people's experiences and you end up going, oh that's just one person's experience or whatever, which I think is really important when it comes to journalism in the north and in Scotland, that we, you know, are able to to champion the communities and be solidaristic with people's experiences, not just go, "Oh, this is one individual's experience," but actually realise that every individual makes the collective. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I did
2: read somewhere actually that, um, and and it was it it was from the point of view of someone who was disabled who were saying that at the moment they felt that they were. know they were they were kind of quite happy with with the opportunities that were available to them but their fear was that going forward as we start coming out of the pandemic that actually those things will start going away again and employers will just move away from oh no it's too expensive to do it this way or no we can't do it that way and I found that very interesting to think I hadn't thought of that so you know that now you know this whole kind of world has been basically opened up and it has been made accessible and you know all of these things are there and then to have that and then to have it taken away again which which was a real a fear for, for this person who was writing the, the article um, and I just thought oh wow I, I hadn't thought of that and hopefully we won't be in that position but I suppose that is something that potentially could happen I guess you know the Oh, going forward will actually know that was just for the pandemic and now we're, we're all back to normal so yeah Alyssa, I can I can imagine that that those kind of issues do you know come up and it, it is worrying to think about that and th- yeah you're right there are these societal barriers that you know that, that do need to be fixed generally.
0: I think just off the back of what you've all been discussing I think it's it's more of a kind of political societal issue that obviously it needs to be discussed and there will be discussions it's just on about when that'll be and who will be discussing that but i think on the grounds of obviously the discussion we've had today and other discussions that will be happening in the industry if there's people there to speak about it and there's people willing to speak up about issues such as diversity and inclusion and disability and you know the list the list is endless i think that's at the end of the day If people do speak up and speak up in the right way, then that's kind of more beneficial than not speaking up. And and force, you know, enforce
1: action, you know, it's the people at the top that need to put these in place.
3: In terms of whether or not the pandemic will bring about better opportunities, kind of reflected on it in the sense of, I wonder if kind of the role I got at Restless um, would have been available if we weren't, to me anyway, if we weren't, working remotely under normal circumstances but even saying that um whether it's been freelance work or part-time work or full-time work in the past year it has been a constant battle of having to advocate for myself from a mental health point of view um um that who's constantly had to kind of advocate for reasonable adjustments from that respect in the workplace that has only gotten worse in my experience during the pandemic
2: I can see it from both points of view I think that there will be some people you know so I, I think it just really does vary but certainly the statistics are showing that actually people are now working longer hours and um, than they ever were before because there's not that switch off so I, I always just think every single individual you cannot comment on you know a, a generalization it has to be every single individual have their own issues their own circumstances whether you're on furlough I'm on furlough whoever you know it's going to affect everyone individually so it's it's a really really difficult time right now and I just think we all need to take a wee step back and just really be much nicer to ourselves and I think to 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 each other everyone around us. Guys I'm quite aware of the time
1: handles in the comments well thank you so much and i hope yeah. you have a good night
3: lovely to meet you all
4: and lovely to meet you thank you i think we've given you enough content for about five podcasts <laughs> <laughs> katie so uh i do apologize if you see. whoever's got to edit.
0: yeah that's katie, that's katie baggett's job this week <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right, cheers
1: thanks so much for joining us and why not give us a follow on social media over at northern Natter. we're on twitter instagram spotify and google
0: podcasts don't forget to share and follow us to keep up to date and we really appreciate the support so for me katie williams and me katie baggett
1: this is northern Natter.